Well, good morning. It's great to be here with you. As Trevor said, uh, my name is David. I get to be one of the pastors here. It's a great privilege to do that, and it's, uh, it's really exciting to be able to continue our series that we're calling Why with you this morning. Why? It's a question uh, we've asked it a million times in our lives, but it has real relevance to our lives. When we think about what we do and how we do it, when you start to think about the piece behind it, it's actually the why that drives what you do and how you do it. And, and so this series is we're coming around some different topics, things that kind of intersect in your everyday life, things that maybe you've heard said, things that you actually even agree with maybe that, uh, that we've explored as a church in the past or you've heard at another church or heard out on, online, whatever. And we're taking these different topics and ideas over the next few weeks and we're asking the question, why? Why did God say that? And what does that mean for my life, and, and it's really important that we gather around this, this question of why, because knowing your why shapes your way. Knowing why you do something shapes the way you live. When you go to school, when, you, when you're at home, when you're by yourself, when you're at work, uh, when you're not here, knowing your why will shape the way you live. And so it's really important that as a church, we come together and we ask the question why, because knowing why will shape the way you do something will shape your what and how you do it. And this morning, we're going to bring this idea of why alongside our topic of drunkenness. Drunkenness. Now, at first glance, you might say, well, this topic might not have as much uh, pressing, uh, it doesn't have a pressing nature as maybe some of the other issues that are going on in culture. It might not have as much gravity as some of the other issues out there in culture or even that we're looking at in this series. But from God's perspective, what we're going to see this morning is that drunkenness really does matter. That drunkenness is worthy of our time, is worthy of our attention because God has spoken into it. And so to help us think through this, this topic, we're going to open up a book of the Bible called Ephesians. And so if you have a Bible or a screen or an app, uh, you can go ahead and grab it and turn there now. It's going to be on the screen behind me. But we're going to be camping out in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 to 21 this morning. And as you're turning there, just to set the, the stage for, for this letter that we're looking at, it's a letter written by a guy named Paul, who is one of the, the first followers of Jesus, one of the most famous followers of Jesus. He's a passionate man of God who, who planted churches, wrote some big parts of the New Testament, and he's writing to the church in and around the city of Ephesus, and he's saying, this is who Jesus is. This is what Jesus has done. Now this is what it means for you and how you live your life. And so as he writes this letter, we come across the words that we are going to be camping out, starting in verse 15 of chapter 5. This is what Paul says to the church. He says, Look carefully, then, how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit." Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and make melody to the Lord with your hearts, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And so of all the things we've just read, the attention-grabbing verse is verse 18, isn't it? Of all the things we read, that's the thing that jumped off the page and grabbed your attention right off the bat. Verse 18 says, Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. 
Now, when we hear that, we might think it's a bit churchy or maybe even a little bit illegalistic, like, don't do that, do this. It's like laying our rules, laying more burdens down upon us. And that's not what Paul is doing here. What Paul is actually doing is not trying to give us just another rule to follow. He's not trying to put a lid on top of your life. What he's actually trying to do is sound a warning for you, for the church, for the followers of Jesus, about a lifestyle of drunkenness and where that leads you. That's what Paul is up to here, and so he's not trying to lay burdens on you or uh, just pile up more rules for you to follow. He's actually trying to warn you about the lifestyle of drunkenness and where it leads. And so let's be really clear, right from the get-go, here's what Paul does say and what Paul doesn't say. Paul doesn't say, don't ever, ever, ever drink any kind of alcohol whatsoever. It's not what he says. He's, he doesn't say that we're not allowed as, as followers of Jesus to, to ever have a drop of alcohol. That's not what he says. What he does say is do not get drunk. Do not drink so much that you become intoxicated. Do not drink so much that your mental and physical capacities get impaired, that you lose control, that you start lacking judgment, that you become drowsy, that you don't drift into intoxication. That's what Paul is saying. He's not saying don't ever drink alcohol. He's saying don't go and get drunk. And there's a difference. See, what Paul's doing is he's addressing drunkenness, not whether you should drink alcohol or not. And so drunkenness is the issue, not drinking. And again, just so we're on the same page, from God's perspective, drunkenness is drinking to the point of intoxication where it affects your body in in such a way that you lack control, you lose control, you lose the ability to make wise decisions, and then because of that, you fall outside of what God says is right, good, true, and best, and that's what we call sin. And so, from God's perspective, having a drink, a nice craft beer, or a cab salve, or what have you, is not a sin, getting drunk is. Do you see the difference? Drunkenness is the issue, not whether or not you can drink alcohol, and Paul brings this home in another letter that he writes to the the church in Galatia. And he kind of comes at this topic and he limps drunkenness in with a whole bunch of other stuff. He says this in Galatians chapter five, he says, the acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery. So there's that word again, the word that he said to the church in Ephesus, he's saying to the church in Galatia. Idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Drunkenness is lumped into all these other different things that fall outside of the kind of life that God wants us to live, the kind of life that he created us to live, the kind of intentional kind of life that he wants for us. And so Paul is saying this is what the situation is. Drunkenness is the issue. And for you, getting drunk might might not be a big deal. But for God, it is. From his perspective, drinking to excess, abusing alcohol, is a big deal. Now, I talk a lot about my kids whenever I'm up here. I have two young boys, a a three-and-a-half-year-old and a a just-about-to-be-one-year-old. It's his birthday this next weekend. So um, it's really... Uh, fun for me to have these two boys at this age, and, and our oldest is really fun because he just loves to wrestle. Like, he is always ready to get in the ring and start wrestling, and so every day I come home, and I don't even have my shoes off, I don't even have my clothes, my jacket off, I don't have not changed my sweatpants, I haven't put my backpack down, and Levi runs to the, the door and says, Daddy, let's wrestle. 
Daddy, let's wrestle. And, and, and most days I'm down and I'm ready to dominate, but uh, for the most part, uh, that's our thing. And so we wrestle, and it's, it's really fun. I love doing that with my boys. Uh, but I remember there's a, a while ago, there was one day where um, I came home, I had a long day, it was stressful, I was feeling a bit tired, and Levi, he ran up, and he's like, Daddy, let's wrestle. And I was like, hey, buddy, not today, I'm really tired. Um, but he was relentless, and he wouldn't quit. And so he was like, every, every couple seconds, he's like, Daddy, let's, let's wrestle. I'm like, no, buddy, I'm too tired. Daddy, let's wrestle. And, and he said, um, no, I'm too tired, buddy. And then he started to get really tricky because he started to try and trick me. And so what he did is he took it to another level. And he's like, Daddy, give me a hug. Or Daddy, come play with me. And then he'd attack. And it'd be like, oh, sweet, sweet Mary. It's like crazy. Like, and he's jumping on me. And, and uh, after like, like 30 minutes of just this relentless assault, my wife, her dear heart, takes pity on me. And she says, Levi, Daddy has a right to say no. And he fired back without a hesitation. Yeah, but I have the right to say yes. I was like, how did you learn about moral relativism, <laughs> you little theologian? You're three and a half. It's amazing. They're, they're too smart for their own good. It's unbelievable. <laughs> well, we couldn't argue with that, right? Like, I have a right to say no, and Levi has the right to say yes. We both had the right to say yes or no. And when it comes to drinking alcohol, if you are of legal age, here's the thing. You have the freedom if you are of legal age, to choose that to drink or not to drink. God's not sitting here saying you can never touch some alcohol. He's saying you have the freedom to choose to drink or not to drink if you are of legal age as long as it doesn't lead you to drunkenness. As long as you never slide into drunkenness. As long as you never lose control. As long as you don't get to that point where you become intoxicated. And so you have that freedom if you are of age, it's up to you. That's between you and God, what you decide to do that with that. And what that's going to look like is, is different for everybody. So like age goes into it. Your gender goes into this decision. Your family history. Maybe there's someone in your family who, who has struggled with alcohol and have had just blown their life up because they've, they've struggled with alcohol and they would have to go to, to Alcoholics Anonymous or something like that. Uh, whether you ate food or not in time. There's all these different factors, family history, all these things, things come together to help you make the best decision. You have to be aware of that. They all factor in. And so we are free to say yes or no if we are of legal age. So if we are free to say no or say yes, as long as it doesn't end up with drunkenness, then the question really becomes, will this lead me to the life that God wants for me? Will this lead me further into the best version of life, the life that God created me to have? Will this lead me there? And if it doesn't, then that puts you in a position where you may need to say no. And that changes the conversation now, doesn't it? Because Paul, again, he addresses the freedom that we have because of Jesus in a place like 1 Corinthians 10. He says, all things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. And so we like that first part. We like the all things are lawful. Is that because of the grace of God and, and the forgiveness that is available to us in Jesus that we can know that no matter how far we run away from God or how many things we do that he does not approve of or we mess up or the mistakes we make, we know that God is always going to show us grace, show us mercy, give us forgiveness if we run to him and repent of those things, but it's not permission or license to take advantage of. And so Paul is saying, you're free to go and do whatever you want, 
You can go drink, you can not drink, you can, you can go get drunk if you like, but not all things are good for you. Not all things are going to help you move deeper into relationship with God. Not all things are going to move you deeper into the life that he came to give you. Not all things are going to build you up to help you become the person that you want to be, the person you're meant to be, or not all things are going to build you up so you can go actually go live the life that God has for you. And so here's where we're at as we come under this, this question is that we can go and do whatever we want, but not all things are good for us. And they won't lead us into the places that we ultimately want to go or that ultimately God wants for us. And so in light of that, then there are times where we're going to need to say no to some things in order to say yes to the best things. There are times in our life where we're going to have to say no to some things in order to say yes to the best things. And I think this is what Paul really wants us to see here is, is that it's really easy to have verse 18 grab your attention and just get stuck down there. It's really easy to forget about that, that Paul is, is placed this verse inside a much longer discussion that began in chapter 4, verse 1. That this verse is just one small piece in a very big puzzle of what Paul has been talking about for verse upon verse and he's been impacting the lives of those who are reading it. See, since chapter 4, verse 1, here's what Paul's been doing. He's been saying, this is the new life that you have because of Jesus. This is the new life that you've received because of Jesus and now here's how you're meant to go and live in response to that. See, Paul has been writing about new life. The life that you get when you say yes to Jesus, when you come to that moment and you're just like, I, I've tried life on my own way, but I can't do it anymore, and so I'm going to throw everything upon Jesus and put my trust in him. And Paul's saying, once you say that, then you receive new life. The Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of you. And then you are enter into a new way of life. And that's what Paul's been getting at here. He's saying, now that you've been brought from death to life in Jesus, now that You've been made alive with Jesus and the Holy Spirit, God himself, lives in you. This is how you're meant to live the life that you've been given. And it's in this space that we come back to verse 15, which says this, Look carefully, then, how you walk, not as unwise but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So when Paul says the days are evil, he's making a statement about the kind of world that we live in. He's making a statement about this age between the, the time that Jesus went back up into heaven and when he's going to come back. That we live in a world that if we're not careful has strong forces and ways of living and value systems that have the power to draw us away from God, draw us away from the life that he wants for us. And so Paul's talking about, like, how do you live in this world? How do you live in an environment where there is, like, evil present and ways of living and value systems that bump up against God and what he says is a better way to live your life? He's saying if we're not careful, we'll be drawn in by that. So, he says, pay attention to your way of life. And I love that imagery that Paul uses. He says the word walk, but when he says walk, what he really means is your way of life. And so it's this imagery of, of life with Jesus, that it's a way of life. And I love this because Christianity is so much more than just an event. It's a lifelong journey with Jesus. It's a way of life that you are saved into. And I think we sometimes forget that. 
It's a journey that we take with Jesus. The journey starts with that moment when you say yes to Jesus, when he saves you and transfers you from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of of God, and, and you live in that. There's this moment of salvation moment, but that's just the beginning because after that, it's a lifelong journey. You are saved into a life with Jesus, that you live with him until you take your dying breath. And so your yes to Jesus is only the beginning of a lifelong journey. And so Paul comes along and says, if that is true, then you need to pay attention to your way of life. You have to move beyond the salvation event to address the way you live day in and day out the other six days of the week. All seven days. Well, how do you do that? He says, make the best use of the time you're given. Make the best use of the time you're given. Use the time that you've been given well. See, here's the thing. All of us, young, old, in between, we've only been given so much time on this earth. We have a short window in which to live the life that we've been given to do what God has called us to do. And it matters what we do with it. It matters. So my other son, Jack, his birthday's coming up next week. It's a year old, and it's crazy because everyone used to tell my wife and I all the time, like, you know, Enjoy every moment, savor every moment because it's going to go by so fast. You're going you're to wake up one day and they're going to be moving out of the house. And, and I always kind of took that as worth a grain of salt, but it's so true. Like we feel like just yesterday we brought him home from the hospital. And here he is, he's walking and he's about to turn one and he's starting to form words and it's just like, where did the time go? How did it go so fast? It just, it's just mind-blowing for my wife and I as we kind of come up on his first birthday and in the process of, re- of reflecting on his first year, I've been reflecting on my role as a dad. And I gotta tell you, the most important thing I do on this planet is love my wife and raise two godly men. That's my prayer. My biggest heart is to be able to say, I helped my boys live for Jesus because all this, I failed if I don't do that. And so what I've, become, I've started to reflect, I'm like, is there things I should be doing that I'm not doing? Are there things I am doing that I, should, I shouldn't be doing? Like, how am I actually doing as a dad, God? I'm, I'm looking at my life. I'm looking at the time I have with my boys because you, before I know it, they're going to be off, they're going to be married, and I only have so much time to be the best dad possible with the help of God. And so I want to come alongside them and be like, I'm going to just pour myself out for these boys because if I can do that, I've won. I've been faithful to what God has given me. And I've come face to face with this reality that I want to use the the time I have with my boys to the best of my ability. I want to max it out. I want to go all in because it matters to me that much. And I'm convicted by this. But not just as a dad. As a husband and a leader and a follower of Jesus. Am I making the best use of the time I'm given? Am I pouring my life into the things that ultimately matter? So convicting what Francis Chan says. He says this. Our greatest fear should not be of failure, but of succeeding at things that don't really matter. Our greatest fear should not be that we fail, it's that we should succeed at things that don't ultimately matter. And so you can go and you can rip it up with your friends, you can have a a great time on the weekend and live to tell us about it or, or post a selfie on the next day of the things you did. You can live for the experience, you can go to drink and you can use that to get drunk, whatever that looks like. You can go do that, but are you using the best use of your time? Are you using the life that God's given you for what ultimately matters? 
Paul says, make the best use of your time. And if you want to do that, he says, it helps to know what God desires for you. And so we see that in verse 17. He says, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So if we want to live wisely in this world, if we want to make the best use of the time we're given, then we need to know who God is and what he says and then seek to apply that to our life. To not just fill our heads up with a bunch of knowledge about Jesus and what he taught and good theology, but to actually go and live that out in our life because all good theology leads to practice, to life, to worship. And so this helps us as we come at this topic of drunkenness because it reveals the gap between what God desires and what drunkenness delivers. See, when we start to think about what God actually wants for our lives, it's very quickly we see the gap between what God wants for us and and, and what drunkenness actually delivers. And this puts verse 18 in a new light now, doesn't it? Paul is putting these two ways of living side by side and he's showing us where they end up. One way, he says, leads to debauchery. It's an interesting word. I didn't really know what it meant, but here's what it means. It says, debauchery is excess, extravagant wildness. It leads you to a place where you actually live outside of what God says is best and what he wants for you. And so it's, it's it's a word about sin, about excessive sinning, and that eventually drunkenness will lead to that place. But here's the other thing that word means. It also means reckless and wasteful. Debauchery actually means reckless and wasteful. And so what Paul is saying here is that not only does this lead you into sin, outside of what God wants for you, he's actually saying it's a reckless and wasteful way to live the one life you have. That when you live a lifestyle of drunkenness, when you abuse alcohol, you're actually taking the life God's given you and he's saying you're wasting it away. Well, hold on, you might push back and say, my drinking's not that bad. It's not a problem at all. I just have a few drinks to unwind after work or with my friends. What's the big deal? I'm not drunk. I'm just buzzed or tipsy, so it's okay. Everyone is doing it, really. I could be doing so much worse. I mean, I could be going to the club and tipping back shots. I could be doing that, and so, man, just having a couple beers with the boys and and hanging out and getting a buzz, that's not a big deal, right? At least I don't drink as much as him or her. I mean, they're the ones. I was at a party with them last week, and oh my goodness, they were really drinking a little too much. They're the one with the problem, not me. Well, I'm not hurting anyone. I'm just in my own home. So why does it really matter? It matters. No matter how much you rationalize it or try to explain it away, it matters no matter what reason you give because abusing alcohol cannot give you what only Jesus can give you. It can't. I'm not just here throwing stones or trying to pick a fight. I'm actually talking from experience here. See, before I met Jesus, pre-Jesus Dave, feels like so long ago, I had a season where I was really broken inside. I, w- I felt insignificant, I felt lost, I felt so empty. I was in pain. And I didn't have anywhere to turn. I mean, I couldn't turn, I didn't have Jesus in my life, so I didn't have that source of comfort, that place to run to, to, to help me unpack that and deal with that. I couldn't turn to my hockey teammates, because they would just laugh me out of the arena if I told them that I was hurting this much. They would have laughed me out of that place. I didn't really know where to turn, and so, Unfortunately, I I turned to alcohol to try and deal with the pain. And I remember many Saturdays going out and and drinking and waking up Sunday hungover, and I'm here to tell you that it doesn't lead to life, that drunkenness cannot deliver. And man, I wish I knew then what I know now. I wish I knew what I know now. 
because I've had to deal with a lot of hurt and a lot of pain and a lot of consequences from the choices I made in that season. I don't say that to glory, and I say that I've tried that way, and it doesn't lead to life. Alcohol can't give you what Jesus can give you. Drunkenness can't deliver the life you want, but the Holy Spirit can. So instead of going out and getting drunk, Paul says, be filled with the Spirit. And this is not just a one-time thing. That happens when you say yes to Jesus, but Paul is saying this is not just a one-time thing. This is a continuous filling where you're ongoing, be full of the Spirit, that you're becoming more open and available to the person and the work of the Holy Spirit day in and day out, moment in and moment out. You're saying, Holy Spirit, I'm here. I want to be filled by you. I want to press more deeply into this life of the Spirit, more further into this thing that you have for me, that you saved me into, Jesus. Paul is saying, this is the posture of the life of a follower of Jesus. I want to be filled by the Holy Spirit. And that's individuals, but it's also the church he's talking to. That our posture as a church should be, fill me, Holy Spirit. I want more of you. I want more of the life you give. I want you to have more of me. And Paul says, we do that because the Spirit leads you into the life that God desires for you. In verse 19, look what he says. He says, be filled with the Spirit. And what is the result of being filled by the Spirit? Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing and make melody to the Lord with your heart. Giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And so when the Spirit of God fills you and you start to make yourself available to his work and what he's doing, he starts to produce something new in you. The inward turning effect of sin starts to be reversed and you slowly start to be turned upward and outward and and start living again in the way that God intended us to live. Fueled by the Spirit in us, we start living upward and outward. Look what Paul says here. He says we start to worship God. We sing songs from from the depth of who we are in response to who God is and what he's done. We start to live a more worshipful lifestyle. But if you notice what he says, we also sing over each other. So do you know that when this morning when we were singing these songs, Paul is saying that when you sing, you're actually encouraging the people around you about who God is and what he's done. That you're addressing one another, you're speaking over one another, you're singing over one another the glories of who God is. And that's amazing. We remind each other of who God is and what he's done as we sing. And we see we start to have this upward and outward transformation. And then he also says we go We start to change in how we talk and how we think and how we act. He says we go from gossip or grumbling to gratitude. We start living more thankfully from discouraged. Maybe we're discouraged this morning about something that we've been asking God for, we're hoping for, and he hasn't delivered it yet. But but Paul is saying be thankful because he's given you so much already in Jesus. He's like we start to change. We become different. And so when the Spirit gets a hold of you, you start to live differently. You start to experience and enjoy the life you've been saved into. And here's the beautiful thing about the gospel. The gospel, the message about what Jesus has done, who he is and what he's done, is that you are saved from sin, Satan, and death, but also you are saved into a life with the living God. A way of life has a taste of eternity here and now. Not one day when you go to be with Jesus, not one day when he comes back, but here and now, you are saved into a life with the living God, the God of the universe, 
You are saved from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of the sun, into a life where you are made into a new creation, where God changes you at the very basis and core part of who you are, and he makes you into something completely new, a new creature. So that everything that comes out of you is different. You're saved into a life where you have every spiritual blessing you could ever imagine in Jesus. You are saved into a life where you are loved by God the Father with a never failing, never quitting, never giving up, beautiful, awesome, life-giving love as his children. You're saved into a life where you have hope that lasts beyond the grave and hope that is an anchor in the storm. You are saved into a life where you get forgiveness and peace and strength from God and you are shown mercy and grace, stuff that you didn't earn and could never, and you never deserve, but God gives it anyway because he is just that good. You're brought into a life of power and love and self-control, a life where you have a part to play in what God is doing in the world. See, God is not out to limit your life. When he says don't get drunk, he's not out to limit your life. He's out to unleash his life in you and to invite you into something so beautiful called the new life with Jesus. And Jesus taught that we find this life through self-denial. And that's our why this morning. In Mark chapter 8, Jesus is teaching and he says, we find the life that God wants for us, the life we're craving, that we all come in here looking for. Maybe we don't know it yet, but we're looking for something that is more than we currently have. And Jesus says we find that life by letting go of control, by saying no to what we want or would like, and saying yes to Jesus in his way and what he wants and what he wants to do. We find the, the life that Jesus offers by saying no to some things in order to say yes to the best things. We find this life that Jesus is offering us by saying no to some things to say yes to the best things. And so yes, this isn't easy, but it is better because it leads you into the life that God desires for you. And so yes, Paul's giving us a warning here. He's saying don't get drunk because what fills you up can end up controlling you. So be careful what you choose. But here's the thing, Paul's not just warning us, he's actually welcoming us into something. Yes, he's sounding a warning, but more than that, he's welcoming us into a way of life motivated and empowered by the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. The same power that leads us to experience and enjoy the new life God has given us. And if you want that life, if you want the life that God offers, then you need to let the Spirit of God possess more of you. If you want to possess more of the life that God offers, then you need to let the Spirit of God possess more of you. You need to give yourself over to the Holy Spirit more. You need to say yes to him more than you say yes to yourself. And Jesus says this is possible when we do it for him. I don't know if you noticed in that verse that we had up there, Mark 8, about Jesus' teaching, is he says, you do all this. You say no to yourself to say yes for a reason. He says, you do it for me, for my sake. And the key to all of this, the key that unlocks the power of self-denial is that you and I get to see the worth and the wonder of who Jesus is and the beauty of the life that he saved us into. The moment we see the worth of Jesus, we become more willing to say no to ourselves, to say yes to him because Jesus is just that good. He's so much better than anything or anyone that we can imagine. And if you look at Paul's life, you know this is his story. Before Paul met Jesus, he persecuted the church. He wanted to stamp out this movement of Christianity. 
He was an enemy, and he fought, and he saw the people of God as his enemy, and then he met Jesus. He came face to face with Jesus, and he saw the worth and the wonder and the beauty of who he is, and Paul was willing to reorient his entire life and spend it saying no to himself to the point of suffering at great cost because of Jesus. He writes about it in Philippians chapter three. He says, Jesus is worth more than anything, and Jesus is worth giving up everything for. Jesus is worth giving, he's worth more than anything, and he's worth giving up everything for. And so you put Jesus and the life that he invites us into up against anything else, and you will find that nothing comes close. And when you see that for yourself, it begins to activate that part of you that will say, I'm ready to say no to some things in order to have the best thing, which is Jesus and the life he saves you into. God of grace, I'm blown away by how beautiful you are and how beautiful the life that you've saved us into is. It's no words can contain or describe what that looks like or, or, or come close to touching at your worth, Jesus. And so we want to be people who posture ourselves so that we will be able to see your worth, to slow down, to lift our eyes, and to see the surpassing worth of who you are, Jesus. And so help us to see that worth, to see the worth of the life you've given us, and to be willing to respond to that. In Jesus' name, amen.